Thank you for downloading this podcast. We believe this message from Pastor Ryan will uplift you today. Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20. Turn there for just a moment if you're here for the first time. Thank you for choosing to be with us. I appreciate it, and uh, I'm glad you're here. Let me say this up front. Almost had church there just a second ago. Maybe I should have just kept Tony singing. You never know what might happen. He's standing over getting ready to take up the offering. Yeah, that worked out well for him, didn't it? Guess who just joined the worship department? Hallelujah. Got drafted. That's exactly right. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just strongly convinced that the church should be the greatest thing since Pentecost. I don't believe the church should diminish in power and authenticity just because Pentecost is a few 2,000 years past. I don't believe the church should lose its influence, its calling, its mandate, its purpose. I believe that we should be as, as alive today as the church was as it came out of the upper room and began to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. I believe we should still be that powerful. And, and maybe it's just me thinking that the church should be that way, but I, I'm just convinced we are on this earth to shake communities, to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. That we're not here in the entertainment business. We're not here to, to make sure that you necessarily like us. We're here to propagate the truth of the gospel. And sometimes the gospel will cut you and, and deal with you right where you don't want to deal with. But I really believe the church needs to get its edge back. You might disagree with me, but I, I believe the standards of greatness are not based on the world's standards. Greatness as it relates to my life, it's not got anything to do with my location or my address has absolutely nothing to do with, with the bank account that I possess or the education that I've gained. It has nothing to do with that. Greatness is my ability to be led by the Holy Spirit, trusting and dependent upon God to make sure everything works for His glory and honor and trust Him without question. And I know as we come to a time where, where in our nation people want to make resolutions, I've never found resolutions to work very well for me. Most of you have made the resolution to lose weight, bought the equipment. Now it doesn't only collect dust, but it has become an extra closet for you to hang the clothes that you thought you were going to be able to get into. So it's prophetic in nature. I've never found resolutions to be very good because my willpower is not strong enough. I can say I'm going to stop doing something, but it takes more than willpower to change. How many found that to be true? Any of you now, you may be like me because I came from a different upbringing. I came from a different background, and I came through a different time period like some of you, and, and I was accustomed to loose living. I didn't have real solid, resolute standards on what was right and what was wrong, much like our nation today. We're really not sure. There's not clarity on what's right and what's wrong because the Bible has been replaced by theory. Well, I grew up in a period where I had no resolute, so it caused me a lot of scars. Because I made poor decisions because there wasn't somebody in my life influencing me and helping govern me. And I sure enough didn't have a relationship with the Lord that brought conviction of behavior and lifestyle. Now you can disagree with me if you want. I still believe we need more Holy Ghost conviction in America and within the house of God to keep us on the straight and narrow path. Okay, now I know that's not popular because we don't want to preach a gospel that causes or demands conformity to Scripture. 
But how many found out it's easier to conform to the standards of the world because they're not resolute? And it makes us very uncomfortable when somebody preaches absolutes because it crosses the grain of culture. And maybe we've been baptized in culture, not baptized in the Holy Ghost. Woo. I'm saying goodbye to 2013, but I'm sure enough build me a platform for 2014. Because I'm not going into 2014 with a, with a backbone that is weak. I, I want to go into 2014 with a pursuit in my heart that says, I want to be greater. I want to be greater as a believer. I want to be greater in my faith. I want to be a greater preacher in 2014. I can't believe you didn't name in that because I believe that if I become a greater preacher, well, that's not necessarily true because it's reciprocal. So what would be the point if I become a greater preacher and you not become a greater hearer? It has to be reciprocal. We've all got to go to greatness. We've all got to grow into greatness. We've got to move forward. And greatness cannot be based on our culture. It has to be based on the Word of God. So in, in Acts chapter 20, let me get there because I, if I don't, y'all will start shouting and we won't get anywhere. Acts chapter 20, you there? It's interesting because the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Many would say he was great, and I believe he was a tremendous leader. And I believe there's some things that I, that I can, can garner from his life. Chapter 20, Acts 20, verse 18. The elders had come to him. The elders of the church, the leadership of the church had come to the Apostle Paul in verse 18. And when they had come to him, they said to him, you know, that's what he said. He said, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. What Paul's saying says, ever since I got here, I've remained steadfast, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul say? He brought the elders to him, and he said, I want you to understand something. I found out that no matter what's going on in my culture, I must be humble before the Lord, follow the Lord, serve the Lord, and I must not back down. I believe we're living in a day and an hour that's going to demand you be more resolute in your faith in Jesus Christ than ever before. I believe you're going to be tested. I believe you're going to be tried. And there's going to be more opportunities and avenues for you to take a lesser path of resistance. I do believe that there's a day and an hour where our government is going to uh, uh, penetrate to the church to the place where it is going to legislate what we can and cannot preach from the gospel and what we can or cannot preach from the pulpit. By the way, A&E reinstated. reinstated the outspoken, the gospel-toting, Phil Robertson, who stepped out without compromise and with true conviction and said what he believed the gospel to be. And they said to him, we don't respect that and we'll remove you from the show. And they said, we'll just remove the show. 
Isn't it interesting how they came back? Money's an interesting motivator. Or maybe God just said, if you stand up for me, I'll stand up for you. If you stand resolute and not compromise and you'll be consistent, then I'll show you my consistency. What's going to be challenged in a new year? Your consistency. Paul said, I've been consistent since I got to Asia. I want you to know I have been consistent, even though things were moving and shifting under my feet. How many felt the temptation to quit and surrender in 2013? Three people. Truth is, all of us have been tested in this last year to quit. What were we going to quit on? Well, I just, I just tired of church. I understand the inconsistencies of church. In fact, the church has a lot of problems. But in case you didn't realize it, it's made up of people like you and I who are not perfect, who struggle with our flesh, our behavior, become somewhat inconsistent. But even in the midst of inconsistency, my God is still the same. He said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, which is wonderful. But it's interesting how things come into our life, and I have a tendency to not want to be so consistent. Paul said, listen, I want you to know something. In all of my testings, in all of my trials, in all of my problems, I remain, in, I remain committed to God through his relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I thought about something, and this may seem foreign to you, but I think the church has got half of it right. We've got the half of him being a Savior. Because we've all been taught that without a Savior, a Redeemer, a Restorer of our souls, we're doomed for hell. At some level, we've been taught that, and we don't teach it much anymore because we're, you know, we're, we're a conformist church in America. We won't preach about hell or, never mind, don't, don't, y'all just real sensitive right there, I can tell. So we kind of avoid all that, but, but I really believe most of, a, of America understands that we need a Savior. But that's only half of the gospel. You can't have a Savior without Him being Lord. It's just like you can't be a fisher of men without first being a follower. They go together. And I think for some reason we want fire insurance so that we don't go to hell, which is making him Savior. But he can't just be Savior. He has to be Lord. And see, the problem is we don't understand lordship. We don't understand lordship because we live in a culture that does not teach us about lordship. Lordship is about authority and dominion, and it's irrevocable. Lordship means he has dominion over my heart, over my behavior, over my thoughts, over my whereabouts, about my decisions. They have to be submitted to lordship. Because, see, we're taught that in our culture, we choose and then ask him to bless. Y'all going to get quiet on me. 
See, we understand what it's like to be forgiven of our debts. We understand what it means to be justified and be put in a new state. We understand what it is to be regenerated in our heart. But making him Lord is a daily walk. Not about coming to an altar and repenting of our sins. Lordship is waking up in the morning, pushing the sleep out of your eye, and say, Whatsoever, I'll follow you wherever. I won't make a decision without your direction in my life. See, we don't teach Lordship. We'll get you to an altar and we'll give you half, which for most is nothing more than fire insurance. Come on, don't be hateful to me. I don't want to go into a new year with only half of it. I want him to be Lord of all. Because if he's Lord of all, then I've surrendered all. See, it's different. And here's the problem. And can I give you an illustration to help you? You know I work off word pictures. It's the difference of him being the resident and him being the president. The difference of him being a resident of my life. I don't want him to be the resident. I want him to be the president of my life. I want him to have full authority and dominion over my life, which means I have to surrender, which Paul said I have to do it with humility. What's Paul saying? I've got to humble myself before his supreme lordship. It means I've got to bow a knee and let him in charge. Now, that's foreign for most of us because it's difficult for us to be able to articulate what it means to make him lord. Can I break it down for you? It means you're not in charge. One of the greatest liberties I ever got, and I didn't get it from seminary, I got it through experience, is making him the Lord of a Sunday morning. Where I didn't have to perform. Where I didn't have to have the words that made you feel better about your life. Where I got set free from the necessity of making you happy. Because the reality is I don't have the ability to articulate anything that will make you happy. So if you preach better, I'd live better. You can't put that on me. And and, and I didn't learn that in seminary. I learned that through experience. And I finally got to the place, Lord, it's your day. And if it looks like a train wreck to me and you're in charge of it, it's all right. Mm. See, I'm fighting against a cafeteria-style church. Y'all working with me or not? Y'all wishing it was already New Year and I'd move on to something else? This is where I'm going in the New Year. (laughs) This is where I'm going in the New Year. You say, what's our theme for the New Year? Lordship. He's in charge. He's in charge. I I can't pay bills here. I can't orchestrate the plans and the mandates of ministry. I can't fix your marriage. I can't fix your bank account. I can't solve your problems. I can't get world peace to work in your life. I can't introduce you to one that if you will humbly submit to and surrender to and allow him to have dominion over, he will be Lord of all and he'll take what's crooked and make straight. He'll work it out. I don't know how, but he will. But he's not going to do it when you have a cafeteria-style relationship with him. Paul said, when I came to Asia, I came to you, and I lived before you consistently. I lived before you contrite or humble. I lived before you so that you could see I was totally reliant on him. See, cafeteria style is we pick and choose what we want. That's how people pick churches today. 
Well, y'all don't know. Y'all just looking at me like, uh-huh. They pick and choose. I made up my mind. I'm going to the most radical. If I wasn't pastoring, I'm going to the most radical, unconventional, unique, distinct, outlandish church I could find. Because I'm not programmed for pew sitting. I'm not wired and hardwired for quiet. It's not my nature. I'm, I'm loud by nature when it comes to the church. And I know what speaks to me, and I need somebody up in my business. I need to go to a church where they thunder righteousness, and I feel conviction every Sunday. I need not go where they allow me to have a loose life and a loose standard and, and live immoral and not feel conviction. I need somebody to hold my feet to the fire. I need to go somewhere where it's convictional. Not conventional, convictional. I need somebody to preach the righteousness of the kingdom that makes me fear hell. I need somebody to preach in such a way that I want to live right so I can spend eternity with him. Not so that I can blend in and get another business deal and lie, steal and cheat and call myself a cafeteria Christian. Cafeteria style. Got pastors this morning going to preach 28 minutes and not any longer. You in the wrong church for that, honey. It takes me 28 minutes to get the oil hot. I don't, I don't preach 28-minute sermon. If I do, so I'm sick. It takes 28 minutes just to get your heart right to where you start hearing what thus saith God, not what thus saith man. It takes you 20 minutes just to sit in his presence where his spirit saturates you. See, I know what it takes for me to live right. I told our young teachers, I said, you'll be a better pastor and a better preacher and a better teacher when you're doing it yourself. Because there's nothing quite like the awesomeness of having to stand before his desk and look into the eyes of his children and know that if you misrepresent his gospel, See, I, I know, I know, I know you want me to tell you how, how confident I am when I walk on the platform. But what you don't understand is I stand over here in the corner most of the time and pray, Father, if there be anything in my life. Sometimes it takes me a minute. Just stand here, Father, I don't want to say anything that misrepresents who you are. I understand, Paul. I understand Paul saying, I've had to live through the trials, and you've watched them. But I've tried my best to be consistent. I have fallen in 2013. How about you? I've had bad behavior and bad attitudes and made mistakes in 2013. And I've done some things I told myself I wasn't going to. I said some things I knew I shouldn't have said. I, I, you're going to leave me out here like that. You say, well, I don't want to acknowledge it because I don't want my wife to know. She already knows, son. She lives with you. You can't hide it. Holy Ghost will wake her up in the middle of the night praying and interceding for you because you know the Lord loves you and he'll draw you. My wife will walk in and say, can I pray for you? No, I don't want prayer. I usually don't want prayer because I know. Yeah, right. One of my greatest challenges is being consistent every day. 
Paul said, listen, if you love the Lord and make him the Lord of your life, it demands consistency. You don't pick and choose Monday through Saturday. You live consistent. And isn't that a difficult thing? To be consistent when the world wants you to compromise? To be consistent, to be resolute, and to be truthful? When it's easier to lie, tell a half-truth, or skirt around it. Well, Pastor, if I, if I come out too boldly, then, then they might not want to do business with me. Do you ever think maybe if you came out too boldly, they'll want to do business with you? Apparently, A&E had a change of heart. And I'm pretty confident Phil ain't going to back off of his position. If I was Phil, I'd go, look, you came back. I'm getting worse. That's the way I'd be. I'd be like, I dare you to throw me off here again. Am I the only one that has that mentality? I mean, I'd be like, if you came back to me, I'm going to get worse. Interview me again. Ask me a pertinent question about humanity and let me tell you that sin is insanity. Let me be resolute. Let me be consistent. No halves. He's Savior and Lord. He's Savior and Lord. Now, I've got to read this because you need to see this. But Paul said, look, I, I'm committed to him, to his lordship. But it didn't stop there. Go to verse 28. Because for me to be great, I have to be committed to the person of Jesus Christ, not only as Savior, but as Lord. Does that make sense? But for me to be great, I've got to be a part of something great. I think that's what we miss. Paul said, I was testifying to the Greeks. I preached repentance. I, I held true to the faith. I was consistent. I was contrite. I was courageous. I was even controversial. But I was always committed. Verse 28. Paul said this to them. He said, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Paul said to the elders, listen, for you to be great, you have to have him as Savior and Lord, but you've got to be a part of something great, and that's the church. You can't have greatness outside of the organization. Somewhere the church has to become more than just a place that we gathered. I'm thankful we can gather in this room. But this is not church. The church is larger than you and I. It's larger than our assembly. It's larger than our gathering. It's universal. It can't even be silenced today around the world. Even in the midst of a gospel that is preached that is false. You still can't silence the power of the church because Jesus Christ paid the price for the church. Paul said, look, make sure you do a good job of overseeing it because Jesus gave his life for its authenticity. And I thought, dear God, the church in America is so fractured. And yes, it's got a lot of fallacies. And yes, it's got a lot of failures and mistakes. But it's still the plan. And in 2014, we need to remember the plan doesn't operate outside of his church. Whether it's five stones, it's the church universal. Does that make sense to you? You can change churches. You can go from building to building, from architecture to architecture. You can go from tradition to contemporary. 
But when it's all said and done, it's his church universal that you've got to be a part of. Maybe that's why the Bible said in Hebrews 10, said to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why is that? That we might edify and encourage and strengthen one another as we see what? The days of the coming of the Lord approaching. I'm going to say this to you. You attending church is more than you coming and sitting. You attending church is more than a destination. It's more than a location. It has to be a lifestyle. It's not a Sunday morning and a Wednesday night deal for you. It has to be you everywhere. You represent Him everywhere universally. And if I've made Him Savior and I've made Him Lord, then I am the ambassador of the church. I am the overseer of the church. I am a part of the church. And see, I don't think that means anything anymore, do you? Because we take church with a grain of salt anymore. You know why usually I feel the temptation to resign, requit, requit and go, go AWOL? It's not because of the problems. Because problems are a part of all of our life. The, the reason a lot of times I as a pastor over 24 years has wanted to go AWOL is because I'm sick and tired of a lack of commitment. Because I'm going, what's the point? Can we talk? So what forces you to want to go AWOL? Just tired of just doing it and it not making an indelible print on people's lives. And it's like nobody cares. I told somebody, can we talk? Y'all got real quiet. I told somebody the other day, I said, you know, we spend like nearly $80,000 a year. And then we walk around like, it don't matter to me. And some days, I think I told Clay, some days I just like to close the doors and say church is under the big juniper tree or the big oak tree down the corner and see who would show up, especially in July. Or maybe in February when it's 25 degrees. You say, well, nobody'd show up. Then what does that say to us? What does that say to us if the nursery's closed and the, the kids' church is closed and you want to complain because your children had to sit on the chair next to you? Oh wow, that means you've got to be a parent. Y'all getting quiet at me, I feel you. Since when has the church become this, this place where you come and do nothing and be served? Where we serve your children and we teach your children and I preach to your family so that you husbands can do nothing at home. When did we diminish the value of the church to a location? Paul said Jesus Christ died for it. To me, that spoke volumes because when he's Savior and he's Lord, then I'm going to defend his church. I'm not going to just attend it. I'm going to defend it. Where's that edge of the body of Christ that says, I'm going to defend the church of God? Not, not denominational, universal. When am I going to defend the church? I'm not talking about defending five sons. I'm talking about the church. 
When are you going to defend our brothers and sisters who are being assaulted? When are we going to defend and stand up for people who are persecuted for making stands like Phil Roberts? I didn't ask you to pick it. I didn't ask you to grab a sign. I just asked you to stand with somebody that's got the confidence and the conviction to say something. We don't defend the church. We don't defend our leaders. Come on, is this conviction? Y'all getting sleepy-headed. We don't defend it. We help assault it. I wore my big boy pants today. I ain't come in here to tickle your ears. But when you're assaulting the pastor down the street or around the corner or the pastor around there that's serving and you're assaulting him, you might as well go ahead and shoot me too. Because we're universally the church. When you're negative about this and negative about that, you might as well go ahead and be negative to him. For he is the founder, the chief corn. He has a vested interest in the welfare of his church. And for us to take that lightly is disrespectful to his lordship. He has dominion over the church. The church is his plan. And the Bible said he is among the seven candlesticks. Oh, listen. Read Revelation. He said, I am in the midst of my candlesticks. So for you to disregard the church is to disregard him. Quiet in this Presbyterian church today. I'm not being controversial. I need to be factual. It can be Presbyterian. It can be Baptist. It can be Methodist. It can be Episcopalian. It can be Pentecostal. It can be whatever. I would be very, very careful how I cross it. For me to cross the church universal is to cross the lordship of the one who died for it. See, we don't take church serious anymore. Can I talk about economics? Thank you. I think I will. Budweiser doesn't support the preaching of the gospel. Corporate America does not sponsor the preaching and the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's supported by those who have been called out, separated from darkness, brought into the marvelous light, who have been saved and made him Lord. It's interesting to me when Paul makes mention here, he talks about, listen, I want you to make sure you labor well among the house of God. Take care of what's been purchased. But in verse 35, he said, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than receive. Paul said, look, He's got to be more than Savior. He's got to be Lord. You've got to follow Him. If you're going to be great, you've got to have that. But second of all, you've got to be a part of what's designed and orchestrated to be great, which is the church. And the church requires not only your attendance and your defense, but your giving. And when I say giving, the first thing that comes to your mind is economics. And the only people that would be offended by me talking about economics are those who are not in compliance. I don't preach to make you angry. I don't. 
It's not my motivation. It's not my heart. If you, don't, if you challenge that and you're not sure of that, you don't really know me because my heart's not to destroy you. My heart is to shake the foundation of what you've been taught that has made you complacent and mediocre. To challenge you to be great. And sometimes that means we've got to chip away at some of the theology that has been indoctrinated to you through culture. What are we going to do when our adversary is on our doorstep? Challenging whether he's Lord of all. We've been challenged somewhat this past year when it relates to giving Because, see, for us, it's difficult to give when the economics are difficult. But let's take economics out of it. Can you not give your time? Can you not give your talent? Can you? Those men that started businesses in this last year, there were two or three guys that launched out and created their own business in this last year. And they came to me because they had no work. And I became their partner. And the first thing I did for them, this is my heart. I said, you come work here at Five Stones. Clay, Isaac, Andy. Who else? There was three that I can remember. May have been somebody else. Offered it to you. Four, four guys this year launching out, taking some steps. And they were talking to me about launching their business. And I said, I'll tell you what. You invest your time right here. I'll find something for you to do. And I... We'll make sure you get $100 a day for your work here. Clay came and worked. Isaac came and worked. Andy came and worked. And before long, the list that I had is still a list. Because they got in here and they sowed sowed some time. And I don't think Andy got about four or five hours in. Next thing I know, his phone rings. And it rings, and it rings, and he's like, I'm too busy to come back. And Clay says, I'm meaning to come back, but I'm too busy to come back. Dusty set my office. I said, I'm going to do the same thing for you that I've done for these other guys. I said, I know $100 a day isn't what you normally make, but I said, I'll sow $100 if you'll sow your time. You never did make it, did you, son? How busy are you till what, February, you said? Listen, ladies and gentlemen, that is what we call giving. It's not always economics. Yes, it takes a lot of economics. But it's really about my heart. Time, talent, and treasure all travel together. My time, my talent, my treasure travel where my heart is. If my heart's not about the lordship of Jesus Christ, then I'm always going to be in lack. What I'm saying to you this morning is if you want to be great, He has to be more than Savior. You got that? If you want to be great, He has to be more than Savior. He has to be Lord of everything. He has to be the Lord of your finance. He has to be the Lord of your time. Oh, here's a shocker. He's got to be the Lord of your marriage. He's got to be the Lord of your parenting skills or lack of. When's the last time you said, Lord, what do you want me to do with my child? Instead of saying, Lord, I give them back to you. And he said, no, I gave them to you as an inheritance. Now discipline them. Go ahead and have that argument. He'll go, I blessed you with them. Now do something with them. I put them in your trust. Ask the Lord to be the Lord of your family, over your children, 
over 2014. He's got to be the Lord of all. I think it's difficult because our vocabulary in English doesn't have adequate terms for the Lordship of Christ. There's not words that are adequate to to define and to open up for me the vastness of His Lordship. But you start looking through Scripture and you're like, man, there's so many things in there that talks about it. An astrologist could understand because the Bible calls him the bright and morning star. Those who studied botany would understand it because the Bible called him the tree of life. The Bible calls him the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the bright and morning star. He's the compass, the day star, the lily in the valley. There's so many descriptive terms that talks about his lordship. But when it comes right down to it, I've got to give him dominion of my life. If I'm going to be great, he has to have dominion over my life. Second of all, I've got to get connected to what's great. Five stones is not perfect. Never will be. But as long as you continue to point out its imperfections and not changing yourself, you're contributing to our imperfection. Can I say that again? As long as you continue to point the finger of imperfection about the ministry that you attend and you do not change yourself, you're contributing. Isn't it interesting how you want to correct everybody else and not modify your own behavior? Criticize the church because they didn't do this, but you don't do either. Preach, preacher. It takes all of us making him Lord and being a part of what's great in order for us to be great. You can't be great in 2014 without those two factors. And I know this is terribly elementary, and you're like, Pastor, this is really just basic gospel. Absolutely. But you'd be surprised how many halves we've been sold on. And we've taken half the gospel and tried to be great with him. You can't be great by him just being Savior. It might keep you out of hell, but it won't keep you living right and obeying and serving and submissive. In fact, it'll make you just miserable enough you have trouble going to church. Come on, stand with me in this house. I'm not going to hold you terribly long. 